week 29, when the ship goes down. There are so many times, and I've heard a lot over the past couple weeks, where it feels like your ship, if you will, is sinking. That everything you've worked for, everything you know to be true, whether it be your family life or your work life or whatever it might be, it feels like the ship is sinking. You ever been there? It feels like everything is just kind of coming to an end or it feels like it's tough to stay afloat. We're coming to a place in Acts where Paul has been in prison for years upon years. He's been fulfilling his call to God, preaching in the prison. He's actually, uh, because he's been listening to the Lord, the Holy Spirit, he has been ministering to governors as God told him he would. He's been ministering to the governor of Felix Festus. Last week he talked to King Herod Agrippa. He addressed a, college, uh, a stadium full of people, full of uh, the higher ups, full of the authority, preaching the kingdom of God. And instead of accepting a trial to go back to Jerusalem, which if you remember, the, the Jewish priests were trying to actually uh, kill him. They were trying to ambush him on the travel to Jerusalem. The Jewish priests, uh, he said, no, 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 I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm going to appeal my case to Caesar. So in appealing his case to Caesar, that means because Paul was a Roman citizen, that means they had to take him to where? They had to take him to Rome. So we come to a place in Acts chapter 27 where Paul is getting on a ship and he's going to Italy. Okay? So let's start off. This is a long one, so I'm going to get right into it. We're, but it's going to be good, I promise. If you get bored, just, you know, pray. Acts chapter 27, verses 1 through 2. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. Aristarchus, forgive me on the pronunciations because I'm horrible at the names, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, uh, <laughs> Thessalonica was also with us. We left on a ship whose home port was that word, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops or ports uh, along the coast of the province. Now, something interesting to point out here, this entire text starts off with, when the time came, we set sail. Luke is the author. He's the guy who wrote Luke. <laughs> he's the author right here, and he's talking about we set sail. So it gives us a little context. Who's with Paul on this prisoner ship to Italy? Luke. Luke was allowed to accompany Paul, which means that the favor that, remember, Paul had a favor in prison. He was allowed to have visitors to come attend to him, something that most prisoners did not get. But Paul got that favor, and the favor extended to this uh, uh, sailing, to this, to this uh, um, um, traveling on a ship all the way to Italy, he was allowed to bring someone. Luke was on the ship with Paul traveling to Italy. Paul still had the favor. That's why the writings start with uh, us. He was traveling to Rome, and he was about to appeal to Caesar. Well, in verse 3, it says, The next day, when we docked at, at Sidon, Julius, remember, he's the, uh, Ro the Roman commander, was very kind to Paul, and he let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Talk about favor as a prisoner. Yeah, you, yeah, man, you can get off the ship, you can go to the shore, you can, you know, visit the, you, you know, the, 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 the shops and get, get, get what you need to do, you know, talk to your friends, you know, you, you, you can do what you need to do. Prisoners did not get that sort of favor. They were prisoners. But Paul did. He obviously gained some sort of favor with this, with this Roman guard on the ship to allow him to get off the boat with his friends to be ministered by other friends. Well, putting out to sea, verse 4 from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There, the commanding officer found uh, uh, an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Very interesting circumstances. The ship was full of prisoners, all of which were condemned criminals being sent to Rome. 
If, if you know anything about the history here, if you're a prisoner being sent to Rome, most likely you've got a death sentence on you. Because the reason you're being sent to Rome is you're going to perform in the Colosseum. Because your death is for their entertainment. And they're all going on this death sentence to Rome, and Paul hasn't even been convicted yet. This man that hasn't been convicted is setting sail to go talk to Caesar. And because of his character and his display of kindness as a prisoner who is completely innocent, it reminds me of that song, you know, like, I've paid my dues time after time. I've done my sentence but committed no crime. If y'all don't know that song, you more saved than I am, but <laughs> made bad mistakes. Made a few, okay. But anyways, <laughs> he had good character. He had this magnificent display of love, ministering to the very people that have him shackled up, and he's treated with an honor and a privilege. And I think that there's a principle we need to learn about character. That in how handling yourself in all circumstances and in all things, something is unlocked for you. And it is so hard to keep character in circumstances where your character is tested the most. In Philippians 4, Paul writes about a principle of character in verses 15 through 19. It says, As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. I kind of want to be known as that church, the ones who offered the help, the one who was able to offer when no one else did. You were the only ones that did. No other church did it. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. He wants to make sure he knows. He, he wants to, when he's talking to the church, he says, listen, I'm not asking for something. I'm not puffing you up to get another gift. He says, I'm not asking you because I want a gift. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. I want you to get a reward for your display of character because you weren't giving me anything with the expectation of getting something in return. And I think one of the most cheapest things the church has done, it has preached a message saying, make sure you give because you'll get a blessing. Make sure you do well because God will bless you. And the fact of the matter is, people receive that, and they'll give, and when no blessing is gained, they question God, they lose, they lose faith because they have put a I'll give if God does instead of a genuine character of even if God doesn't give me anything else, I love the fact that he bought my eternity, he paid for my sins, and if that's all I'll ever get, that's enough. So God, here here, a person that God has led me to bless. Here, the, the, the person against me, that the enemy is coming against me. If God says bless the enemy, the, if God has blessed the person coming against me, do good to those who persecute you. I will because I'm not trying to get anything out of it. There's a principle on tithing that we get messed up. We always talk about Malachi. How it says to make sure we tithe, and, and then God says it's the only thing to test him in. But we have heard that preached wrong. Because what we hear is God says tithe and test me in it and see if you don't get a return on your blessing. That's not actually what it's talking about. The reason you get blessed off your tithe is not because of the tithe. Do you want to know why? If you read the entire passage, what it's talking about is your tithe, it says it lifts a curse off of your ground. So you are a planted vessel in the earth. You were made from the dust of the, the dust of the gr ground. It's okay, earth is correct. I'm just trying to use some different language. You were made from the dust of the ground. So he says, if you will give back to me a portion of all that I've given to you, I'll lift a curse off of your ground 
so that whatever you plant in your ground will be blessed. Whether it be your time, your talent, or even your treasure. A financial offering, a service, or your skill set. And what happens in church is so many people give time to the church. They give service to the church. They give offerings in the bucket. And they never see a blessing because you don't tithe to lift a curse so that everything you put into the ground will be blessed. It can't grow because your soil's cursed. Is all right? So Paul says, you've displayed genuine character. You were kind and you didn't want nothing out of it. So because you did this, I want you to receive something. Verse 18. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with uh, Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's acceptable and pleasing to God. This same God who takes care of me will supply your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And we read that and say, oh, well, my God will supply my every need. Yes, but there is something on you. Because we hear God supplies our every need, then we say, well, where's my every need supplied? Because right now, I don't really see much supply. Because I need this and I don't see it. I need that and I don't see it. The way you access the glorious riches that Jesus bought your right to access, that's why we're called righteous, you are made right with God to access riches in heaven, the way you access riches in heaven, and that's not just wealth. It's not a pros prosperity is not about money. Prosperity is bringing life to your dead places. Prosperity is the enemy tries to speak depression, but I'm happy in the midst of horrible circumstances. It's not, it's not about money. The way you access riches in heaven is he says, let me see a genuine display of your character where you come to me with a genuine God, here I am, with all I am, expecting nothing in return. That's why you don't tithe to get something out of it. You tithe joyfully because you know what he has done for you. And because you, that's why it says don't give without a joyful heart. And he says, you do that, I lift curse. You see, it's all about you do and I'll. You do, then I'll. I, he says, it, when, it, when Jesus' words on the cross, it is finished. So he says, I've unlocked everything. Now you do what? Turn the key. What is a key? Genuine character. How did Paul... How was he able to get friends in prison and then leave a slave ship, a prisoner ship, to go on board and talk to his friends and get all his needs met? Genuine character while serving in prison for years and years and years without promise of release. He has given his case time and time and to time after time, again and again, to no avail. And all he has is a crazy vision that no one believes that God said, you're going to preach in Rome and, there's, and you're not done. And, and the only word the Holy Spirit gave him was, you're going to go to prison and you're going to suffer. But for some reason in America, we need puffed up messages of, you're going to be great and you're going to be fine. And that's, that, that's true. You're going to be. But don't define great as no chains. Because in his chains, Paul was the most free and the most peaceful. And for some reason, we think the only way to have peace and be free is to get out of chains. But what if God says, I want you to rise above your circumstances and have peace in me and have, and, and have gentleness in me in the midst of your chains that you believe I've set you free of. And if you walk like that, you turn a key of your genuine character and I'll release a rich to you which eventually gets him released.
Is this making sense? We, we can't come with this, God, I'll give you my praise if you'll guarantee that this situation gets taken care of. He says, no, 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 no. I've already bought something you didn't deserve. We've, we've made church about prostituting God. Just to be real. We've made church all about let me get something out of him because I don't thank him enough for what he's... Do you realize the magnitude of putting his son, the word of God... Jesus existed before he was born. Jesus is the word of God. That means in the beginning when God spoke, the Father and the Son and the, and the Holy Spirit were already there because the Son is the word that became flesh. The Bible says that before God spoke, the Spirit was hovering over the water. So the Father and the Word, which was the Son, and the Spirit were all together in Genesis chapter 1. And then he says, I'm going to create you in my image. That's why you have the Spirit, soul, and a body. Three in one. Is this okay? So Paul says... You've got to unlock some things with genuine character. And he's unlocking it. He's being faithful with small stuff, preaching to his captors instead of complaining about the circumstance. And then they start sailing, and strong winds are coming against them. And it says they get to a place and they see a different ship. And if you notice, it said it was an Alexandrian ship. Now, what an Alexandrian ship was, it was actually a grain freighter. It had one purpose, to carry grain from Egypt to Italy, okay? Now, I looked up about what the Alexandrian freighter was, the, what, what the grain freighter looked like. It was about 140 feet long, about 36 feet wide, and it had one big square sail. It was very sturdy. It was, it was, it was a bulky thing, and it had two oars at the very back to steer it. Why was it built like this? It had one purpose, carry grain. Well, there was an issue with the ship. This was the issue. Because it was so sturdy and had one big sail, it didn't sail very well in bad windstorms. And what it had to do, it had to catch a good wind to carry it because it had one big sail. It had to catch that one good wind. You ever heard that song, I'm going to catch the wind? It's a, it's a Bethel song if you're ever listening to that stuff. And I, I told everyone last night, we might not ever sing that song again after I preach this message. But there's so many times where we live life where with this one sail mentality of hoping we catch that one good wind that's going to take us. That's going to take us through this financial struggle, this relationship struggle, this mortgage struggle, this work struggle. And if I can just catch that one break, and they all get on this ship that can't handle any hard winds. They have to depend on that one little wind. Well, they're struggling. And in verse 7, it says, We had several days of slow sailing. This is after they get on the ship. And after a great difficulty, we finally neared Sinaitis. But the wind was against us. So we sailed across to Crete and along the silter coast of the island past the Cape of Salmon. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Slow sailing, the wind was against them, and a ship that could not handle it. Now Paul has traveled quite a bit. He's traveled about 3,500 miles by sea at this point in his 20 or 30 years of ministry. So the dude knows about sailing. So Paul speaks up. Look at what he says in verse 9. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, I believe there's trouble ahead if we go on. Then he explains it. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. Paul's an experienced sailor. He knows this isn't great. 
Now, a, a, a very important part of the scripture, it says, because it was late in the fall. So this is around September to November in the months. It was the most horrible conditions for sailing. It was when the seas were rough and the storms were bad. In some Bible versions, you may see it doesn't say late in the fall. It actually says after the fast. Reason that being, in the Jewish culture, after the fast, that means it puts them around October based off of when the Jewish fast ends. So you look at the season. They were in the September to November area, which is the worst times for sailing, and they were in October, which means they were in the middle of the roughest sailing conditions on a ship that couldn't handle it. You ever been in there in life? In the wrong place at the wrong time, and it seems like on the wrong ship? It's kind of like where America is right now. You got political divide, you got race divide, you don't know what, what governors support, you got mask or no mask, you got COVID, and then if all that was enough, now you got two hurricanes hitting at the exact same time in the exact same place. Y'all seen those memes on Facebook where everyone's like looking out the door the next day like, what's going, what's going to happen this week? It's, it's really a picture of what we're going through. Anything that could happen is going to happen. They're in the worst place at the wrong time on the worst transportation. Verse 11. I'm building to something. Is it okay so far? Okay, good. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner than to Paul. Of course. Why? Paul was just a what? He was a prisoner. And since Fairhaven was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter... Most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix. Like, we ain't staying here. Farther up the coast of Crete, spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. Even though Paul had earned favor with the officer in charge, the officer listened to the captain. Most of the crew agreed with him. And they said, let's, let's travel 40 more miles up to Phoenix on the worst ship in the middle of the worst time of the year to sail on the ship that can't handle sailing. Now let's read what Paul said one more time in verse 10. Men, I believe there's trouble if we go on. A shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives. It's not just his knowledge of the sea that he's speaking of. You know what he's given them? A prophetic word. And I wonder how many times someone gives us a word and we just kind of shrug it off. And we genuinely shrug it off because of a few reasons. Reason one, we don't know if it's true or not. Reason two, no one teaches us what prophecy is. Reason three, how do you know if a prophecy is correct? So we get these words and no one knows what to do with them. And in the church, what we have learned to do is just listen to this man with a microphone. And we look over all the people in the seats. That is not how God built the house of God. That is not how God built his house. That's not how he did it. He says, I have designed you all to be a body. And then he explains you need every single part of the body, of the body, every single part of the body to exist together to operate at your fullest. So, in other words, this man might have a gift in teaching, but that one you overlooked, who you think's crazy, who they straight up, you know, they can't dress and they ugly and you, and they stink and you don't want to be around them, they may have the most greatest prophetic gift ever, but because of what you see when they say, hey, God gave me a word, your mind's first resort is, I ain't receiving that. And this is what we do. We scoff at it. I ain't going to receive that. They're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. You know, before I got that call Friday, someone that I had only known a couple days told me there's a financial blessing coming. And, and a part of me, the very first thing that came to my mind that I had to captive is, yeah, I've been hearing that since March. 
Good thing I didn't do that, though. I said, no, 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 I received that. Thank God. <laughs> but isn't that what we do? You hear someone give you a word like, hey, you know, I, I, there's, there's something going on in your life, and I feel like God's telling me this, and yeah, 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 I, I received that. And you go home and you do nothing with it. Why was God giving Paul a prophetic word? To help them steer the direction of the ship. And there's so many of us going in the wrong directions because we never listen to seemingly insignificant words. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, discernment, prophetic words. And you know what? There's people in this church, in the house, in your family, kids. Kids have an advantage. Some kids have great words and they'll say something and you just miss them going, oh, they just kids. When you have no idea what God just deposited in them in a dream and they just spoke it out in innocence. But if we would spend more time building family instead of building grudge and harboring offense, you may find the person that you can't stand the most has a word that you need to hear to help steer you in a decision that you should never make. But here's what we do. We scoff at it. You know what 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 21 says? Do not scoff at prophecies. This is New Testament, by the way. So if you've ever been to the part of a church that says those gifts are not for today, the church is teaching heresy. It's not biblical. It's not correct. I can't believe he just said that. Well, someone needs to. I'm bold enough. I don't need your okay. Test everything that is said. So listen, it doesn't say receive every word. It says don't scoff at them. Test every word you get and hold on to what is good. So if you get a prophetic word, it should line up with some things. The Bible says that every word should strengthen, encourage, and comfort. You, you claim that you're saved, which means you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the Holy Spirit if you're saved. So if you get a word, line it up. It's to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And ask God, is this for me or is it not? If you don't have peace on it, you can either throw it away or put it in your back pocket. I got a word 15 years ago that sounded crazy to me. And I threw it away, to be honest with you. 15 years later or 10 years later, I got another word from another person. It was the exact same thing. And it clicked, and I realized what it meant. And I thought to myself, if I had just received that. But you know the goodness of God? He said, you didn't receive it 10 years ago, but I'm going to give it to you again. So let me just give you some peace. Don't worry if you're throwing away one, because he's so good that he'll keep talking to you. He'll give it to you again, and again, and again, and again. I use the example of Peter all the time. How did, how did Jesus get Peter to become a disciple? Let's go fishing. Peter served Jesus three years, saw miracles, people raising from the flipping dead. The moment Jesus gets killed, guess what Peter does? He goes fishing. Relapse. Some versions say he tore his, tore his robes off. Dude went crazy, got naked and went fishing. Then Jesus shows up, and ha if you read the passages, has the exact same conversation as Peter as he did three years before. And after the conversation, Peter realized he was talking to the man that they just killed on the cross. Because he doesn't give up on you. Even if you go back to old habit. That's the goodness of God. He said, don't, don't scoff at prophecies. Hold on to what's good. Well, how is... I believe there's trouble if we go on, shipwreck, loss of cargo, and potential threat to our lives. How is that strengthening and encouraging? Because the encouraging is we can get out of it if we just stay. Let me encourage you. We can avoid this. 1 Corinthians 2, 13-14 says this. When we tell you these things, we don't use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual cannot receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual 
can understand what the Spirit means. The fact of the matter is, if you're not seeking God, you won't understand the Word. So don't blame God if you don't understand something that comes to you because you cannot understand it if you're not seeking. And seeking is not, I have a two-minute devotion in the morning, I listen to Christian music when it serves my purpose, and I go to church on the weekend. That's not seeking. That's membership. That's club. That's I belong. If I may be so bold, you've got a problem if you know your husband or wife better than you know your God. If you know their voice better than his, you've got the order mixed up. You ever notice when a friend calls, if you know the friend, you know who they are before, they, before you can see a caller ID? That should be your relationship with the father. But, but we're not there. We've got stuff out of order. We embrace God, husband and wife, kids, which means you should know him better than any of the others. And then you wonder why everything's a struggle. We go to our friends for advice because you don't know his voice to get the advice. And then you wonder why you get the wrong advice. <laughs> I, I hope this isn't, I mean, I don't really care, but. <laughs> if we don't seek God, we're not going to understand it. See, seeking God is not about earning salvation. It's about understanding his voice. It's about hearing the love language of the Father. Jesus gave you access to that. But they didn't test this word because Paul was just a prisoner. So they threw it away. Look what happens in verse 13. A light wind began blowing from the south. They caught the wind. Oh, yay. We caught a break. And the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up the anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly. And a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. You ever have one of those moments where you thought you were doing the right thing, all the circumstances look good, and all of a sudden everything just changed abruptly, fell apart? The environment changed in a moment. God knows about the abrupt change that you can never foresee. That's why he said it's not good for man to be alone. So let me bring you all together, give you all different abilities. To, listen, gifts of the Spirit are not made so that super Christians could perform on a stage for lay people. Can we just get those terms thrown away? like lay people and religious authority, we are all the body of Christ. We are all on an equal plane with different gifts. There's different authorities, but that doesn't make a preacher better than someone in a seat. We've got to get that junk out of our minds. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. There's a different, I might have a teaching gift, but there is something in you that I don't have. And if we're going to be a strong house, if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see God move, there's something in you that I do not have. There's something in you that no one else has. There's, there's, there's an alarm of God <laughs> trying to get our attention. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, right on time. Oh, man. The reason we're given those gifts is because it's to help us see things that God already saw. Well, verse 15, the sailors, the sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind because, remember, the ship could only steer if they caught the wind. So they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda. It's kind of funny they got caught up at. 
where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. And then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. They were doing everything they were trained to do. Throwing stuff overboard, lowering down this, pulling up that, and nothing worked. Because there are some times where even though you know how to handle it, no matter what you do, you will not be able to gain control. Because at some point, the ship's going to go down. And that scares a lot of us because... We get these messages of God can redeem every shipwreck. That's not the case. I hate to disappoint you. Because sometimes the shipwreck is not because of him. It's because of you. Well, that's not very encouraging. Like, where's the Joel Osteen in that? (laughs) That was a bad joke. Okay. Look at what happens in verse 20. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. They didn't have an iPhone maps app. How did they navigate? The sun and the stars. The storm was as if it could not get bad enough. Now they had no navigation system. The storm was so bad they couldn't see the sun in the day and they couldn't see the stars at night. They were blind. They were overcome by storms. All their hope was gone. They gave up. And if that were not enough, look at 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Can you imagine hundreds of people on a ship in storms with no navigation, throwing cargo overboard, no hope in sight, scared of shipwreck, and no one's eaten? I don't know about you, but when I don't eat for a while, I get, I get hangry. I wouldn't want to be on this ship with a bunch of prisoners destined to die and then being hangry with the captain. Well, finally, Paul called the crew together a prisoner. Because what Paul carried had more authority than anyone on that ship. Paul called the crew together. Man, you should have listened to me in the first place. I told y'all. Don't you hate those moments? I I told you so. I tried to tell you 10 years ago, but you didn't listen. And most of us have those stories. I know I've got a few of them. I I told y'all we shouldn't have left Crete. You would avoid all this damage and all this loss. They were hungry. They were starving. And Paul's like, I told y'all. But there was something special about this because the entire ship was going down. They were hungry. They were worried. And Paul uses his authority, even though he's a prisoner, and he starts to bring some hope to everyone involved. Look what happens in verse 22. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship's going to go down. Talk about a mixed message. What about the storm's going to go away? You know, Jesus commanded the storms to calm down. What about the ship's going to be redeemed? What about, what about that message? No, this, is, you're, this ship's going down because God told us through a prophetic word that we should not have sailed. We went against the word. God is so good that he'll save your life for eternity. But there is still consequence to going against his will. And we, we, we love to hear the God's going to work it out for your good and, and God's going to make it all happen for you and, and God's going to bless you, but we don't like to hear, well, God redeemed you, but you've got to work out the consequences for steering in the wrong direction. We don't like that gospel because sometimes 
it ain't God's, well, all the time, it ain't God's fault that the ship's going down. Let me read you a couple things. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant, always. Law is law. Those who live to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest death and decay from that sinful nature, even if you're saved. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now let me read another passage, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life to Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? This is the goodness of God. He says, I am so good that I sent my son and paid your debt. And even though you do not deserve it, I'll pay the debt of sin so that your sin will not prevent you from spending eternity with me. I've got the debt. I've paid the death sentence. I've bought salvation. I have bought eternity. But just because I took care of your debt does not mean you get a get-out-of-jail-free card from the law that I put into the earth. And my law is you reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. So if you're going to plant sin, you may not have to pay for it in eternity, but you're going to pay for it now. You will harvest death and decay if you plant sin, which is death and decay. That's why he says, even though I've saved you, I still call you to live in holiness. Because if you live as unto right standing, you won't harvest death and decay anymore. Because you won't be planting a lifestyle that reaps death and decay. Does this make sense? Look at Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. I thank God that we're on the other side of the cross, or even though we still sin, he still listens. That's why he says, I've made you right, so boldly approach my throne. Boldly approach my throne. Do we understand? Because we love the idea that God saves us, but we don't like the idea that we reap what we sow when it comes to sin. We love reap what we sow when it comes to good things. But don't blame it on God when your ship starts to sink. When you start to look at your lifestyle. Some of us have been swallowed up in a lifestyle not pleasing to God. And we wonder why is he allowing our ship to sink. Not realizing he tried to tell you. But your sins have caused your ears to not hear him. And your eyes to not see the way. And he says... So, I've made you right so you can boldly approach me again so you can start to hear and start to see. So that you can pray a prayer like open the blind eyes. Unlock the deaf ears. You know the danger of sin? Well, what's the point of salvation if we still sin? It cuts you off from hearing and steering the boat in the wrong direction. And you hear people say it all the time. Well, I'm saved, so I'm just going to live it up now because I'll spend eternity with God. And you wonder why your ship's sinking. Think about America right now. The ship's sinking. Hurricanes at the same time. You got a state called California that shut down the meeting at churches and they wonder why it's on fire. You want to know why Savannah's so crazy right now? There's no unity in the church. There's no prayer. We don't see anything. 
We, we, we have more festivals on pride and, and rights and, and all this stuff than people just coming together to worship God. Savannah's not known as a, a religious community. Savannah's becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. But God still loves Sodom and Gomorrah. We forget that part. He wanted it to be redeemed. And you know what its redemption stood on? The people of God. Are, can we be the people that is the redemption of this city? The redemption of this region? The redemption of this country? Because what Christians do is we'll look at sin, We'll look at all those things, and we love to speak against it. Well, that's wrong, and you're going to hell. First of all, it's not your right to judge who's going to hell, so shut up. Second of all, if they're in a lifestyle of darkness, again, I've already talked about this a few weeks ago, they don't know. So give them a reason to be pulled out. Love them. Show them that God's good. Not by your words alone, but by your life. Show them he is good, not just tell them. Have a heart for redemption, not judgment. Let's redeem the people. Let's redeem the lost. Let's redeem the culture. Let's redeem identity. Let's redeem it. Not curse it. Not speak against it. Well, I just can't get the way, I can't wait to get to heaven because this world's just messed up. That is not what God wants for you. If that was the case, why would he ever take you out of heaven and put you here? Think about it. I made you before you were in your mother's womb. Scripture. If he made you in heavenly places and he never meant for you to be here, why would he take you out? Revelation. I'm going to destroy the earth and put it back together and then put you back on the earth in a new body. Your home is not heaven. Your home is here. It's heaven on earth. It's the Garden of Eden. It's wrong theology. Heaven's your home. No, it's not. That's God's home. If heaven's your home, why did he create an earth and then make you out of it? Oh, I can't believe the preacher just said that. You're telling me heaven's not your home. That's exactly what I'm flipping telling you. It's in the Bible if you read it. So start loving it. Okay, back then the sermon. Is this, uh, I hope this, okay. Where am I at? What was the last scripture I read? Okay. Now, remember, Paul's already been crazy. He's trying to bring hope. He's like, hey, we're going to survive, but the ship's going down. We're good. <laughs> and then he tells them why he believes that, as if they don't think he's crazy enough. Verse 23. Well, last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me. Can you imagine these hangry people? You telling us to have hope because an angel came to you last night and stood beside you? And this is what he said. Can you maybe throw the scripture up, Josh, instead of getting on your phone? Thanks. Ooh. Bust out. I love you. <laughs> we have a good relationship. Verse 24. He said, mm -hmm. he, he said, don't be afraid, Paul. You will surely stand trial before Caesar. He ain't gotten to Caesar yet. So you know what that told Paul? We're going to survive this thing. We're going to survive the fall. Verse 24. What's more, oh, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. Who did he provide safety for? Everyone. So take courage. I believe God. Not I believe in God. I believe God. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. Paul starts it off saying, an angel told me. And he says, because I belong to him and I serve him. 
Hebrews 6.10 says, God's not unjust. He will not forget how hard you work for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. God does not forget what you've done. God does not forget you. So why do you question that when the circumstances get heavy? Where's God at? Has God forgotten me? The answer is right here. You don't have to ask anymore. He does not forget you. He remembers everything you've done. But what happens is when we don't see a shift, we start to question, why has God let this happen? You're having to deal with some things because he has put you in authority to direct the shipwreck, to direct the opposition, to navigate through the storm. He says, I haven't forgotten you. And sometimes the storm or the shipwreck you're in is not because of you. It's because of the crew members you're with. Because was it Paul's fault that they were going down? Nah. He, what, I told y'all. And in my years of ministry, I have seen couples where it's a woman coming to church and the daddy's at home and the kids are at home and the woman's like, I can't get my family to come to church and she's the only believer and she's like, I just, I can't pull them up. I can't pull them up. And the ship's what? Sinking. And she's wondering, when is it going to change? When is it going to change? But God is so good that he says, if all I'll use you for is to bring peace in the middle of that ship sinking, that's what I'll use you for. But instead of letting him use us to bring peace, we give up on him because we think he should make our ship not sink. God, why, why aren't you doing anything? Wake up to your purpose in the middle of the shipwreck. Sometimes it's you, sometimes it's not you. But God didn't give up. God didn't forget. He'll use you either way. And look at the boldness of what God said, of what Paul said. Remember verse 25? Take courage. I believe God. I will, I will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked. He said, I believe him. You don't see him, you think I'm crazy, but I believe him. Sometimes we got to be bold in that relationship. I believe we'll be debt-free by 2020. You crazy. It's COVID. No one's going to give. Okay. You're going to open your doors already? It's too soon. No one's going to come to church. <laughs> okay. You singing? You know how many germs that's going to spread? I also know how much prayers of incense that's going to lift up in the middle of the epidemic. So, <laughs> do you still believe and trust in them? Psalm 22, 4 through 5. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cry out to you and you were saved. They trust in you and were never disgraced. He will not disgrace you. So why question it? Almost done. Is this okay? Okay. Verse, tw verse 27. You're fired. About midnight on that 14th night of the storm. How many, what night? You telling me Paul said we ain't going to have, we going to be okay and two weeks go by after that? As we were driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped the weighted line and found the water was 120 feet deep, but a little later they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. Ooh, we a little closer to land than we thought. You know what they got scared of? Shipwreck. At this rate, they were afraid we would be soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship, prayed for daylight. Yeah, they're praying now. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. Paul said that and two weeks go by. Can I just say stop expecting God to move quickly based off of how you define quickly? 
Maybe that's why in James it tells us in chapter 1, verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Patiently. Because afterwards they'll receive the crown of life that God's promised to those who love him. Do you patiently endure the testing? When God gives you a promise and you're waiting for it to be fulfilled for two weeks or two years or 20 years or 10 years or five months? They were throwing out anchors. Nothing seemed to work. They were scared they were about to have a shipwreck. They were putting out lifeboats. It says the sailors tried to abandon the ship. That means the crew were going to abandon the passengers because they were looking out for themselves. Philippians 2.4 says, don't look out for your own interests. Take an interest on others. And I think one of the biggest issues when our ship sinks is when stuff starts to get bad, we look out for number one. But the scripture says, no, 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 no. Even when your ship is sinking, do not look out for yourself. Take interest in others. You know how many people called me crazy from March to now? I've only been able to have about two paychecks. And every week, even though I wasn't getting paid, I work another job where I get like $200 a week and what would be my tithe, I can barely tithe that. I was tithing off of paychecks I wasn't getting. So that means I had no money in my account. And look what happened this week to where God says, all that that you didn't get, here. I know it looks crazy, but, 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 but I wasn't going to take... Because what was I doing? God says, look out for not yourself. And I'm not doing that to puff me up. I don't want you to get wrong. I am not doing that to say, look at me. I am talking about a testimony of God coming through. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't look out for your own interest. And then Paul even uses that scripture and and he talks to him. Look at verse 31. Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. Why? Because who was going to be saved? Everyone. So the soldiers cut the ropes of the lifeboat and let it drift away. About time they started listening. Verse 33. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. Now, that's a little crazy. Two weeks, storms, no hope in sight. They hadn't eaten, and no hope in sight. The storm hadn't ceased. They losing lifeboats. They cutting lines. They getting close to a shipwreck, and Paul says, let's eat, y'all. He says, you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good. Not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Dude had communion. They didn't even realize it. And then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us. That's a lot of people to be in a two-week storm hangry. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. You ever worry so much that the ship's going down that you forget to take nourishment? Kyle, you just don't know what I'm going through, so I I just can't eat right now. I'm too worried. I got too much stress. I can't relax. You don't know what's on my plate. What does Matthew 4, 4 say? Jesus says, people don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes to the mouth of God. It's not saying don't depend on bread. It's saying there are many times that the reason you can't eat your bread is because you're receiving the wrong word. Why couldn't they eat their bread? Because they were worried where Paul had peace. Because his word was not I'm worried and I'm anxious, so I can't be nourished. Paul's word was, my God says I'm safe. My God says I'm fine. My God says I'm protected. My God says I'm redeemed. My God says I have purpose. So because of that, 
even in the middle of shipwreck and COVID and financial troubles and family troubles, even when I'm worried, even when I have stress, because I cannot live by bread alone, that word tells me eat because I'm not living by that other word. Man can't live by bread alone. You have to steer your ability to be nourished by his word and not the word of the enemy, not the word of your circumstances. You're not going to make it. You're not going to do it. No, I'm not living by that word. I'm living by his word. And because I live by his word, I'll do all, I can get all the nourishment I need. Because my appetite is not going to be taken by a lie. My need for sleep is not going to be taken. I can't sleep because I've got too much pressure. What word are you living by? When morning dawned, verse 39, they didn't recognize the coastline. But they saw a bay with a beach and wondered they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors, left them in the sea, and then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, headed toward the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Now Paul just told them, everyone's got to survive. Why did the Roman soldiers want to kill the prisoners? They were afraid. Want to know why they were afraid? Because by Roman law, if a guard lost a prisoner, they had to serve the prisoner's debt. Where were the prisoners going? Rome. What was their debt? Death. So if they escaped, guess what happened to the guards? They fighting lions in the Colosseum. They were freaking out. They didn't want to die. They were afraid of death, so they're going to try to use death to escape death, even though Paul told them how to escape it in the first place. Now, you remember the favor that Paul unlocked in the beginning of this passage? Look at verse 43. Last two verses of the passage. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul. So he didn't let them carry out their plan. And then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on the planks or debris from the broken ship. Everyone escaped safely to shore. The ship went down. They lost the cargo. Everyone survived. And you know what's incredible about that? It wasn't just those who were equipped to swim. It was also the ones who were not equipped to make it. And that should encourage you because sometimes in a shipwreck, in a life wreck, when everything seems to be failing, you think, I'm not equipped to handle this. And God says, what you're equipped to do has nothing to do with me fulfilling a promise. Because sometimes you're equipped to handle a situation. Sometimes there's debris to hold on to. Sometimes there's a piece of the shipwreck to hold on to to bring you to shore. Every single one of them survived. Because God is so good. Because God's promises came through. Paul had gained so much favor that the officer was willing to risk everything. And because of that one order, everyone survived and fulfilled the promise of God. I want to read verse 24 one more time to you. Don't be afraid, Paul. This is God speaking. You will surely stand trial before Caesar. Can you imagine that all this was so that he could get into another trial? What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. In his goodness, safety was granted for all. Do you realize what would have happened to these crew members had it not been for one man being on that ship? If Paul was on that ship, no one would have survived. And it makes me wonder, 
all of you who claim to be people of God. When you go into your homes and your workplaces and your friendship circles, what if you were that one person on that sinking ship in that conversation, in that life-altering situation? You're the one person that is called to speak something of hope. That is the key for them surviving it. This was all about Paul and his purpose. And you know what's crazy? You think, why would God put Paul on a ship that was going to sink and go through these horrible storms? He was about to go see Caesar. You know how much his testimony just increased to when he approaches Caesar, he's going to be able to say, like, your people survived because of my God telling me what to do? I wonder what do you do when your ship goes down? When everything seems to be falling apart, do you put your hope in the circumstances or do you put your hope in God? What are you willing to unlock? What are you willing to push through? Do you give up on him? Or do you believe that he's just that good? What if the shipwreck is part of the plan? What if it wasn't? But he's called you to navigate it. He's called you to push through it. He's called you to walk through it. Because there is something in you that that thing needs. So let God work it. Put your trust in his words. Put your trust in his promises. And he will never fail you. He will never let you down. Because he is that good.